What up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club and I'm your host Faraz. Today is our discussion on No Country for Old Men. This episode does contain spoilers. If you're keeping up, we released our preview for Vivarium on Monday, so get that watch in before next Thursday. That movie is available on Amazon Prime. Next on our list is going to be The Lincoln Lawyer. Our preview for it will be coming out this upcoming Monday. Alright, so here's myself, Fahad, and Yusuf on our discussion for No Country for Old Men. I hope you listened to our preview so you could hear how much we praise this movie, even if you've seen the movie, it's worth listening to the preview. So yeah, we're going to get started. Let's talk about how great Javier Bardem plays Anton Sugar. I think that's an easy way to start because he was an incredible villain, and I feel like villains are one of the hardest things in any film to do well. And not only does he do it well, he does it to like perfection. I think he really makes this movie. I can't, I can't imagine another villain or another actor playing this, uh, Shigor Anton Shigor. Mm-hmm. It was legitimately scary, uh, legitimately psychopathic, just unpredictable. Even though it's not really unpredictable, but like there's there's like this shred of like, oh maybe he's gonna do something differently now, especially because he has like that coin toss thing, which I kind of found a little lame, but still. Mm-hmm. What have you guys seen him in prior to this movie? So I mean, we're talking 2007. So mm-hmm. I mean, not I much. He's done a lot. He's done a lot of more um, mainstream films since then. But prior to that, had you guys seen anything that he was in? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm just scrolling through his filmography right now. It it, it starts out with a lot of it starts out with a lot of Spanish films, actually, uh, Spanish language films, right? To my eye, just based on the titles, these are mostly like romantic films for the most part. Oh, he was in Collateral? I don't remember that. He's in Collateral, right? But then he's in, he's in, you know, Don't Tempt Me, The Dancer Upstairs, Mondays in the Sun. Between Your Legs? (laughs) Yeah, like, look, he is a romance actor, like, and then he just comes out and plays Sugar, who is like on the scale of villains he's like literally one of the scariest villains i've ever seen i i don't understand how they did they write this role for him or did he just walk in to some sort of audition and impress the hell out of them i don't know but whatever it was it was terrifying right the casting really nailed it his his haircut let's talk about his haircut it's such an iconic haircut right (laughs) <laughs> it's a mop head. It's like, what the hell is this guy thinking with his haircut? It adds to his craziness. But yeah, like Fraz was saying, the second I watched this movie, I knew this villain was going to be an instant iconic villain, right? He's one of the mm-hmm. best villains to ever come on the film, uh, on the on the screen. Um, he has this cold domineering presence, and he's got those crazy cold eyes, and he steals the show every time he's in the frame. And it begs the question, who is the main character? It certainly does. I, right? I, I do want to mention that I feel like every time I saw his haircut, I kept thinking of Tina Belcher from uh, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> and like, <laughs> l- which adds to the like, what the hell or is that haircut factor? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good point because a couple things here. First of all, he probably is kind of the main character of this film, right? I don't know that Josh Brolin is although you are clearly led to believe that as you you know that's what that's what you're supposed to expect mm-hmm. but the movie's not really about Josh Brolin is it I would argue it's got three main characters two of which are uh more primary than Josh Brolin it's Anton Chigurh and Sheriff Ed Be- Ed Tom Bell and the reason I say that is because there's so much contrast that's uh, the, there's so much contrast in the moralities of Anton Chigurh's character and Sheriff Ed Tom Bell uh where Lewin Moss um, his character somewhat falls in the middle and he ends up, you know, spoiler alert, he dies. 
20 minutes before the end of the movie. Not even on camera. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. you just see him, you know, mm-hmm. laying there as a dead body. And you're like, oh, he died. Like, you don't get to see that moment even. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what drives me to say, like, yeah, I mean, even if he was really the main character, they're kind of making a point, I guess, right? That, like, he's just collateral damage, you know? He, he just got caught up in the middle of it. Um, it, quite literally, he stumbled onto some mm-hmm. cash in the middle of a, a drug a drug, a drug deal sale gone, gone bad. Ba- yeah, right. Yeah, not even really gone bad. DEA set up. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. That and that that's in the details. I mean, I I didn't really catch that right away. Um, but it, it clearly is a setup, right? Yeah. Tommy Tommy Lee Jones' character Ed Tom Bell, um, you know, old time sheriff, ready for retirement, is kind of narrating this entire film, but he kind of walks us through this series of horror, horrid events, right? Um, that he tried to uncover uh, piece by piece. And, you know, essentially uh, this character, Anton Chigurh, shows up in this, in this uh, you know, county and it commits a series of murders. From that point, we basically follow Josh Brolin's character who, you know, is hunting and, and happens to bought a, a drug deal, you know, that's kind of abandoned, finds the money, and then goes on the run when he realizes that Anton Chigurh is is after him to obviously collect back the money. Anton Chigurh appears to not really have any strong loyalties um, and kind of, you know, turns on the people who hired him in a sense and is just out to I don't know, complete the task that he sees as kind of his duty. He's a he I would say he's a principled psychopath. A principled psychopath. That's that's a uh, yeah, that's good. A uh, high functioning psychopath or something like that, right? And uh you know, basically without getting into too much of the details, it's kind of a cat and mouse game between Josh Brolin and Anton Chigurh. Um however, kind of the Mexican cartel side of of things complicates uh, the situation by kind of rearing its head in, and and eventually um, Josh Brolin, uh, Josh Brolin's character, um, you know, dies off screen without any sort of any sort of real meaning put to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the same time, Anton Sugar never finds the money. He he exacts his his vengeance, I guess, or you know, he fulfills what he views Wait. as a promise. I thought he did find the money at the motel because no. Tom goes to the motel and he sees that the vent was open. Oh, he didn't find it because the Mexicans would have taken it. Right. That's what I said. Would they have taken it? No, 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 no. Sorry. I think he found it. Whether he finds it or not, he essentially he goes after Moss's Llewellyn Moss's wife for the for the you know, just for the sake of it. You know, essentially to because he said that he promised him that he would if if he didn't cooperate and Llewellyn Moss did not cooperate. So even though it's of no benefit to him now, he goes through the trouble to 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 hunt her down and kill her. Um, And and then the movie kind of ends with Anton Sugar getting into a completely by chance car accident, you know, kind of limping away, um, probably. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not to even make it, but I, I, so I mean, I kind of stumbled through that because I, I honestly don't know that the, the plot is really that important here. I mean, you, you could probably enjoy this movie without perfectly following the plot, which I think I did. I kind of got lost in it because there was so much else to appreciate. I think the clearest indication of who the main character is, is just it's obvious with your plot summary right there. You did it through the point of view of Anton Sugar more or less, right? Because yeah. any audience watching this movie that's what they would they would do the same Mm -hmm. thing i would have done the same thing however i would add one thing 
when he told Llewellyn Moss, like, hey, I'm either going to kill you or your wife. He didn't get the chance to kill Llewellyn Moss because the, the Mexican cartel. Well, he didn't say or. He gave him a decision. And based on the decision. He didn't. Okay. He implied or that it's going to be either you or her. And uh, Llewellyn was like, I'm going to come after you. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that he meant, oh, go get kill her. Obviously, he didn't mean that. But that's how Anton Shiger took it, I thought. I, I think that part's right. But I I think Shiger pretty much tells him that cooperate with me and I will spare your wife. And I think he specifically says something along the lines of, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and say that you can save yourself because you can't. Exactly. So essentially saying you're dead. Now you have to make the decision. Are you going to die and your wife is going to die with you? Or are you going to cooperate and save her life? And... And obviously, the, he doesn't cooperate, right? Right. The The choice was made to kind of sacrifice his wife in an attempt to save himself, which, uh, you know, wasn't fruitful, uh, unfortunately. I will say I, I do think he found the money I, because they kind of uh, show in a visual cues that it would happen when he's at the motel initially. And he find, goes to the motel room and looks in that vent and he sees the tracks on of the, the suitcase in the vent. And then at the very end, they show that same shot of the vent open and the tracks. Meaning Anton Sugar was in that motel room, which we know he was because we saw him in there. He had taken that, I assume, the suitcase out. So when Ed Tom went in there, he saw that the vent was open and empty mm-hmm. because... I think he suspected it would be in the vents again. We're not sure if it wa- ever was. But why would it? It was open and the tracks were there. The same exact shot that they showed like maybe 45 minutes before when he was in the motel with the vent open and the tracks. And like that's when he realizes, oh, this is where he hides it. And I don't think the Mexican cartel took it because we see that murder kind of happen off screen as Ed Tom Bell is driving up to the motel the Mexican cartel is pretty much booking it, right? They're just getting in the car and like they pretty much did a drive-by. They didn't really do like a a precise kill. They just drove by and they killed some other random dude in the pool as well. Yeah, and I I think I think Ed Tom kind of uh, in a discussion with another sheriff or marshal or of some sort. Oh yeah, yeah, he mentions it. One of them says kind of like, "Well, I'm sure they took the money. That's what they do." And the other guy says, well, "Not in the hurry that they were in, right?" And yeah. we don't really get anything definitive, but you're right. That does kind of cue you to the fact that like, yeah, they really did take off in a hurry and it was kind of just it was a it was a mad dash, truly a drive-by shooting essentially, right? So, sure. mm-hmm. um there there wasn't that time to to look and find the money and we would we would be led by reason to suspect that Moss didn't just leave it on top of his bed. He was not that True. careless of a man. He he always kind of hid it away and so True. I'm sure he did that time too, which means there really would not have been time to to find it and and pull it out and get out of there with it, right? You make good points about like how rushed they were that they wouldn't have had the chance. But to me, the Mexican cartel, they were their primary motivation was the recovery of the money. Unlike Sugar's character, whose motivation was to kill Lowell and Moss, right? So I don't think the Mex- the cartel would have left without the money, mm. without their mission accomplished. I don't think they cared whether um, Lowell died or not. They just wanted the money. That's certainly not you know, an outlandish way to look at it, right? Because that was why they were there. It's really Shigur who is dead set on just, you know, mm-hmm. carrying out <laughs> uh, an execution, right? From the from the motive standpoint, that, that certainly stands true. He showed up because of that conversation he had with the uh, sheriff, and he mentions how Shigur was the kind of guy to go back to the scene of the crime. And I think that yes. triggered Ed Tom to be like, I'm going to go back to the scene of the crime. And he right. was right to do it because Shigur was actually in the room. Well, he wasn't there at that time, but he had been there. 
they play with us a little bit with the um the timing of that storytelling, right, Fahad? So you mm-hmm. kind of you're you're watching Ed Tom walk up to the door. He's nervous. He sees that the lock is blown out, so he knows Shigur was there because that's kind of his his, his signature, signature thing, right. right? We get a shot of Shigur waiting inside the room with his you know his <laughs> his shotgun with some sort of silencer on it. I guess mm-hmm. I that, <laughs> that's it. Terrifying. It's a suppressor. <laughs> And so he's standing inside in the dark and again, really a beautiful shot in the dark. And you just kind of get like one narrow slit of light coming through that's like crossing over one of Sugar's eyes. I love that. Probably the scariest he looked in the entire movie right yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so we get those shots simultaneously, but then Ed Tom, you know, kicks the door open and no one's there. So I think we're 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 not being shown in real time those two shots, right? But mm-hmm. obviously Sugar was there earlier um, and got out of there at some point. Um, and now Ed Tom's kind of showing up and, and seeing the remnants. Again, uh, as he mentioned several times, he's a little bit outmatched. He's he's one step behind always, right? Mm-hmm. But getting back to the off-screen death, right? Did you guys like that? No. No? <laughs> I I specifically wrote down that I was like, this is unfair to the character because they do so much with him. And he is his story is like the exposition that helps uh, Shigor's character exist, really, like to make it interesting at all. Yeah, that's a fair point. And they don't they don't give him like a proper death. I yeah, guess. they were building up to this uh, this final clash. Right. They already had one uh, clash before and they both get wounded. And the story is built up to them like colliding again, to having another confrontation. I, no, I should say that I'm okay with that. It's the cartel that gets mm-hmm. him first, and not Shigor. That's cool. Um, I just think you should have you should have done him <laughs> the dignity of showing him getting killed, sure. not just like again as if he was just like a supporting role that didn't really matter to the story, but he obviously did. But it was a creative choice that they made. I'm okay with it. I just wasn't the biggest fan of it. I'll say one thing to that, which is, yeah, just on the on the note of the creative choice, throughout this movie, violence is not something that they're really trying to showcase here, right? It's, it's almost like just a byproduct of what they're showing us. And I think that was part of the reason why they made that creative choice, because it's like it's really not about that. Like the violence mm-hmm. happens and even the scenes of violence that we see, you know, this again, it goes back to the music that they use to set the tone, which is none and all of that. Right. Those scenes feel very muted. I mean, you're watching really gruesome deaths, but what would those look like under another director or another cinematographer? Right. I mean, they would be really emphasized there would be blood spewing everywhere in every direction it would be dragged out they just don't they don't do that it's it's so like clean in terms of (laughs) it's so clean the murder is so i mean it's it's just it's funny to me though right like how how simple they make those scenes um and then how many off-screen deaths there actually are that are pretty crucial deaths i mean obviously we're talking about llewellyn we're also talking about Woody Harrelson's character, whose whose name is escaping me, but Carson Wells. Carson Wells. There you go. We're in that scene actually, but we don't get to see him get shot. We don't get to see the 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 carnage, know, the remnants right. of of that. Nothing, because again, the framing is chosen so that we don't see any of it. But you know damn well he's absolutely dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Llewellyn's wife, same thing. We don't actually see her die. There's there's so many characters. The guy with the chickens in his truck that that uh, Shigeru oh, runs yeah. into in the road. You see him power <laughs> so washing his deaths. right. You see him power washing his truck bed because 
Yeah. yeah. It's implied he stole his truck. He, he just he, he just he just tells him, uh, you know, uh, can you get those chickens out of the out of the truck bed? And he's like, what are you talking about? And then that's the last <laughs> we see of it. And, you know, he's dead. Yeah. Um, same thing with like the lady who's like the administrator at the trailer park where Lou Allen lives or something. Right. Oh, wait, she didn't die. I think she did. No, no. He heard a flush. And so he left. He decided not to kill her because there was another person there. I didn't think. Yeah. I also thought that she survived because of that flush. Oh, just because of the flush. Interesting. Um, I'm not opposed to that interpretation. I didn't think of it, but I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to it. In my head, he asks several times, like, where does she live? Where does he live? And she's just like, she's like that typical administrator woman who's just like, <laughs> she's scarier than him in some ways. Right. So he like backs mm-hmm. off for a second. But then in my head, he goes out to the car. He gets his uh, handy uh, oxygen tank, as they call it, which it's, it's not. It's a it's a rod for killing. Um, it's for, it's yeah. for, for killing cattle. Right. Um, yeah. and, he, and he comes back and he kills her is how I kind of pictured it in my head. But now that you mentioned the flush and kind of the pause that he does there uh, when he hears the flush, yeah. I mean, that's uh, I could accept that. Yeah. Let me make a point. This administrative person lady, right? She refuses to give out the information, citing her reason that it's confidentiality reason why she's not giving it out. And she seems steadfast and she's principled. And I think Shigeru's character actually respects her. And that's why we don't actually see her demise. We, out of the principal characters in this movie, there's also Sheriff Ed Tom Bell. He doesn't die. The operators in the gray area of morality, that's Carson Wells, Woody Harrelson's character, Llewellyn Moss, Josh Brolin, they both die. So is there something to be said about that? That's a good point. But then what about all the innocent ones? Like, what about that dude with the chicken truck or... That's a good question. Yeah. There's there's some... There's enough innocent... Or, or even... I was going to say the two DEA, DEA agents that he shoots dead, but I guess they're, if they're DEA agents, they're not... Oh, those weren't DEA. Then who were they? They were uh, part of the uh, association that hired him. We're in a Dallas building. I assume those two agents he kills in the very early movie, they were part of the same organization. I assume they were DEA, as in they planted that money. They had they were tracking it just because they're doing their, their spying on the cartel to get some intel. Oh, interesting. I thought they were DEA. Doesn't someone mention DEA in the movie? They do, yeah. I mean, DEA does get brought up, but I mean... There's at least four or five parties kind of involved in this uh, mess in the end, right? So um, mm-hmm. it's a little. Another line that I loved was, uh, you know, Ed Tom and and the other uh, officer go out to check out the scene, and he's just like, "These two over here, <laughs> these two over here look managerial." And then he says, "I think we're looking at multiple fracases." And like, I mean, it really is just kind of like a compounding issue of like one party going after the other, and then the people who are dealing with the fallout of that kill each other, and then there's like two or three layers like that, right? So mm-hmm. it, it did get kind of confusing. Like I said, I don't think that bothered me in the end because that was kind of the point that like this is what it is. I mean, it's a lot of senseless violence, right? So for me, the off-screen death it spoke to me because of how unpredictable the the violence throughout this movie is right Lowell and Moss he's talking to this lady by the pool and he's asking her I'm just looking out for what's coming and she's like y- you don't know when that's coming and they're speaking about death right and Lowell and Moss clearly doesn't see that coming and no- neither does the audience the audience expected um, audience expected Sugar to kill him, but it's the Mexican cartel. So and that's what I saw out of this. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just they're they're talking about how 
you know, there's kind of an inevitability to things, right? And you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so like things don't really end up wrapped in a pretty bow and you don't you don't get like your we don't we don't even as an audience, we don't even get that that pristine moment at the end, that final showdown. It just it doesn't happen because that's just like the cars didn't fall that way, right? So I kind of liked it on on that level as well, that they again they muted that one and just kind of didn't even bother to show it to us. I'm already kind of talking about the themes, one of the which I thought was kind of the inevitability of things. But yeah, like for Raz, what what did you want to talk about in terms of themes? What did you not like so much? Faraz didn't see much in the way of themes. <laughs> I saw the theme, literally the title, and that's the one that was just being pushed down our throats by freaking Ed Tom Bell. And he just kept <laughs> saying the same thing over and over again. Every single time he talked, he was saying the same shit, and it was just bothering me. I'm like, this guy's so boring. Get him out of the movie. <laughs> You're right. He's he's the one who kind of tries to lay out the the lessons to be learned from this movie or or what have you. But I, I do think like a lot of his scenes were a little bit fluffier, a little bit too on the nose, basically. Right. It's like one or the other. Either he's rambling on or he's I mean, as the narrator, he's kind of telling you why he's telling you the story. Uh, but it's just it's a little bit too over the top for you, I guess. Like the theme is not an interesting theme to me. Like obviously people get older, they feel like, oh, we're, 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 this world is not for us anymore um, because like we've grown out of it. There's all these new things that we don't understand. I mean, it's like, a, I don't like the theme. Why do you hate old people though? <laughs> Initially. Term limits. <laughs> so Faraz mentioned something. He thinks the world, Ed Tom Bell, mm-hmm. he thinks the nature of violence is changing, that it's, it's becoming worse, right? Mm-hmm. That's his early perspective. And later in this, towards the very end of this movie, his perspective changes after this conversation Mm -hmm. with the former sheriff who tells him it's not the world that's changing. Violence has always been there. It's you. You're getting, you're changing. You're getting older. You're no longer. Yeah. He he mentions that story from like 1908 or something about how violent that this case was that he was on or someone that he knew. I forget. Um, But yeah. But again, it's, it's a. It's a tired theme, I guess. I, I didn't care for it. That's all it is. I think I, I liked what they what they did with it. I, I, I'm not going to say I was a fan of that scene specifically, um, but I, I did like the idea of like, okay, he's telling a story about how crazy things have gotten in the West. And then there's, there's an element of like, no, it's not any crazier than it always was. And they play off of that with kind of the violent scenes are not that superficial. They're more so just like functional. And and it's almost just, you know, it's a part of the process, you know? And Shigur certainly looks at it that way, right? Like, it's just like, every time he's killing someone, he's just like, no, like, that was, that was what was going to happen to you, right? It was necessary. It was necessary, and... He's acting out of his own twisted principles. Yeah. And it, it's a, it, like, it's it's necessary, it's inevitable for you. I loved that scene where we get to hear him talking with the gas station attendant and the gas station attendant is again just a southern guy trying to make conversation or whatever right he just asks too many questions and that's already too much for Shigur who says uh you know how much have you ever lost on a on a coin flip flips the coin covers it and says call it and the guy just <laughs> that conversation is so fun to i mean it's not fun actually it was terrifying because like you're <laughs> you're you're certain he's going to kill this guy you're absolutely yeah. certain he's going to kill this guy the entire time and he keeps telling him and this is a very sugar thing right he just keeps repeating himself over and over. he says call it you have to call it i can't call it for you nobody else can call it but you and he keeps saying and the other guy's like i need to know what's at stake and he says everything's at stake and he says but i didn't i didn't put anything i didn't bet anything and he, and sugar says no, you did. 
you've been you've been putting it up all your life. You just didn't know yeah. it. I mean, mm-hmm. that I really loved that line because it's just like everything you do has led you here. Everything you do, you know, you again, you stand the risk of being shot or being run over by a car every single day. And so you are putting it up every single day. So don't be mad that today might be your day. And that's his attitude. And I mean, mm-hmm. whatever you think about that, it's it's extremely it's extremely disturbing. <laughs> but it's also I mean, it's it's kind of poetic. Right. Um, and and Shigur ends up being kind of the oh, victim absolutely. of that in the end. But I, I really did like kind of how principled, how rule based Shigur was, even though he's kind of the um, mm-hmm. he's the chaotic one here, but he's not really that chaotic. And the same conversation, it kind of rears itself again in the movie. Um, later on it's where sugar is confronting carson wells and he there's this little bit of dialogue he says if the rule you followed brought you to this of what use was a rule it's like people to him are a product of the rules their decisions their fates lead to some sort of inevitable conclusion and sugar seems to be seems to like to see himself as this judge of other people's lives like he has the finality in whether they live or die yeah and and he kind of he kind of separates it from himself actually right he's he's the executioner but he he's not the judge i would say right because he flips the coin or he he lets things happen as they may but he always like he's like Mm -hmm. it's not me and he even says that with carla jean yeah with carla jean right she's like you don't have to do this and he's like everyone keeps saying that yeah he's (laughs) I love that. It's almost like uh, whatever. It's just like it's so, so childish. She's like, "Why does everyone keep saying that to me? I, I I do have to do this. What do you mean? Like it's just and and she says and he again he does the same thing there. He's like, "You have to call it. You have to call the coin. I can't call it for you." And she says, "No, I'm not gonna call it because the coin has nothing to do with it. It's you." And and he kind of resents yeah. that. Oh, big time. She's like she's like the first per. She's like the only person in this movie who confronts him in that way, right? She calls him out for his BS. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, because everyone else kind of uh, caves to to his mentality, but she kind of stands on it. Um, and again, like, I don't know, there's something that I love about the way that, you know, we don't get to see him kill her, but he walks out of the, the house. Well, that's the shot that we get. And he checks both of his shoes, which if you kind of follow the thread throughout the, I, I would love to kind of just discuss all the OCD or like the very like rule-based characteristics that we see from Shigur because there's a lot of them actually. But one of them is like, he's like very particular about his shoes. So anytime like yeah. he's about to get into a messy situation, he takes off his shoes and like yeah. he, he, there's a, there's a moment where the blood, um, I think it's Carson Wells actually, after he shot him, the blood is kind of coming across the, the floor and it's about to, you know, get up and, Shigur's feet while he's still on the phone and he lifts up his his shoes onto the bed so anyway it's, it's like he's like very particular about that so when he checks his shoes at the end you know that he shot her and he's worried about the blood once more mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of implied deaths through that right right and so but anyway just talking more about Shigur's character it's it's, it's so interesting how rigid he kind of is I would say this going back to that gas station uh, attendant and that scene that's probably our f- most in-depth look into who Shigur is because otherwise any like even with the discussion with Carson Wells or um, his conversations with uh, Llewellyn Moss like they're they're part of the story but this gas attendant one was like just totally onto the side like it didn't have anything anything to do with what was going on in terms of the overall movie but we get to kind of find out and figure out what kind of person is Shigur and it, it really sets the tone for who 
what kind of villain we're dealing with here. Because he, he didn't need to do that one, right? Everything else was yeah. kind of like part of his aims, right? It was a yeah. means to an end. That one he just did. And that, that conversation is so confusing because he, he just, I mean, on top of like kind of like that really, you know, poetic stuff that he says, he says some really weird things where he's just like, like, when do you normally go to bed? And the guy's like, I don't know, like around 930. He's like, I'll come back then. He's like, why would you come back? We'll be close. And like, uh, like, I don't understand what he even meant by that. He was just like, yeah, I'll come back when you're going to bed. But like, <laughs> it's it's like very introspective for sure. There was a little bit of comedy right there, right? Because the gas station attendant, he's he senses the threat from Sugar. So he's like, I need to close. Yeah. And Sugar's like, what time do you normally close? At dark, we close at dark, and he's like, he looks out the window and it's bright daylight, and he and he questions them again. Uh, what time do you close? He close? I I close now because it's dark. It's it's so comedic, it, it, comedic and scary. How long have you been here? And he's like, oh, I just you know my 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 uh, my wife's uh, father used to, have, and he's like, oh, you married into this place? And he like almost like he like oh yeah he scoffs he chokes yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, that was great. He's playing games with the poor guy, man. I felt bad for him. So we've kind of hit on most of the themes, but I think one last one is kind of just like futility here, right? Pretty much for everyone, what they're trying to accomplish um, or what they're trying to avoid, the consequences they're trying to avoid, um, they're unavoidable. And, and that kind of plays into a big role here where there, there's kind of, again, that, that's kind of another way to look at inevitability, but it's it's kind of a, a more stark way to look at it. Um, but, you know, like everything mm-hmm. that, Everything that Llewellyn tries to do comes to nothing. In fact, you know, he only ends up causing more harm. His his you know his his wife gets caught up in it. Um, Shigur doesn't necessarily get anywhere either. But I'm you know again, it's kind of an enigma as to what Shigur really wants, other than keep his shoes clean. <laughs> Stand on his principles about inevitability of everyone's death. Right, Llewellyn Moss's death. I didn't feel like it was inevitable. I felt it was more based on his actions. Right. He stole, he chose to st- steal that case of money, right? That was on him. He chose not to cooperate with Anton Sugar because he could have saved his wi- his wife's life. I would almost, I think I think it is a consequence of his actions, but I think even, even Llewellyn internally views his actions as like not really something that he should, I'll go back to something he said earlier in the movie. And this is like right when uh, he's telling, he's telling Carla Jean, like, you know, pack up your stuff you have to go to your mom's house and anything that you leave here, you're probably never seeing again. Right. And she's Mm -hmm. obviously upset, but all she says is, well, don't fall down on yourself apologizing. Right. And again, I I really do Mm -hmm. love that Western banter, but he says something like baby things happen. I can't take them back. And he refuses to apologize almost just because like, look, it happened. It was going to happen. It was supposed to happen. It's done. And the wording is interesting too, right? Cause he puts it in third person. Like I had no part in it. It's gonna happen. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't have any it, even though it is his actions, there's almost kind of a there's like a hands off mentality him. about it where it's like, look, it, you know, right, something occurred right. and that's it. Right, and I think that's why he he dies because he's not fully in control of his own uh, actions. He's not thinking it out. Yeah, and I, that also kind of reminds me of what Sugar says to to um, to Carson Wells. Right, he he says something along the lines of like, you should accept your situation now, there would be more dignity in it. Oh, and, I love and everyone that, that mm-hmm. doesn't accept their situations kind of, how do I say this? Man, I can tie, I take, I can tie together so many quotables here, but they, they end up not, they lose everything in trying to prevent whatever they were trying to avoid. Right. So in, in at least the, the char- in those two characters cases, they were really just trying to save their own lives. Llewellyn Moore, he's trying to save his life and keep the money, but they're mm-hmm. trying to do that. And it, and it just causes more damage in addition to, to taking their lives. And that reminds me of 
what uh, Ed Tom says, which is essentially, or I think it's his uncle, actually, the, the other, the former sheriff who says it to him, but something along the lines of why you're trying to get it back, you were just losing more, right? Oh, about um, revenge, right? Yeah, you're trying to get back what's yours and you're just losing more in the process. He makes this analogy to a tourniquet. He's like, you better just stop the blood from going out yeah. rather than trying to get it back, the blood back in your body. I, I think that's that's a perfect analogy. So, I mean, I just, I felt like there is kind of, you can see just by the, how many like different moments we're tying together, just freeforming here, right? There mm-hmm. is really a lot of common threads in this movie. Uh, that's why I went as high as I did on the themes, just because everything, there's several different themes, but they're, they're really, really closely intertwined. And I mean, what we were talking about earlier, Fahad, I mean, how, how do you, now that we're discussing it, how do you feel about, I mean, you, you were saying earlier, you felt kind of like they kind of present them at the beginning and then they wrap them up at the end and that's about it. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel that way. So with the, um, the over dialogue with uh, the sheriffs, yeah. It gives you a framework to understand the movie, right? It's um, He's talking about it from his own perspective. But with every interaction, like you said, you see the threads of the same thing. And they all form this big picture of like characters and examining their decisions. Here's the thing. That last scene there with the with the sheriff or the his uncle, I guess it was, mm-hmm. I didn't like how they did try to wrap it up so neatly. I think there was, like Yusuf said, there was plenty of threads throughout the movie, throughout all those conversations on all these themes and then you just have this boring scene added with the conversation between Etam Bell and uh, you could have probably done without it right I think I think I could agree with you there exactly yeah as well as the final scene where he's talking about his dream like I was like dude the movie should have been over by now (laughs) we we got to talk about that right because I was about to bring that up because that is wildly confusing because it's like the you you feel like the movie should have been over already Yeah. yeah and then you kind of you kind of get him sitting down and saying, like, look, I had two dreams last night and, you know, no, I don't want to tell you about them. No, please tell me about that. All right, fine, I'll tell you. And then he, 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 one of them is like nothing. He's just like, yeah, like I, I dreamed that I dreamt that I saw my dad and he gave me some money, but I lost it or something like that. Right. He, he really has nothing to say about, about the first one. And then the second one is a little bit confusing, but essentially he says that he sees his father out kind of passes him on the road. He's got all his gear with him. He's going down like, a, you know, in, into the, you know, the winter dusk. Into, he sees into that he's got his fire darkness. with him. He's got a horn with him. And he kind of, and he says something along the lines of, I knew that once I got further down the road, he was going to be there waiting mm-hmm. for me. And, and then he says, and then I woke up, stares at the camera for a second and, you know, cut to credits. So very sudden end. Uh, and it's even more in your face, like how abrupt it is because blank silence mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, they wanted us to, to kind, kind of reflect of, on it, right? Well, on that moment for a reason, for a reason, right? But what do you guys think they were really getting at there? I mean, the Coen brothers obviously put a lot of thought into this, so I, I just don't want to, I don't want to mm-hmm. just it. Uh, dismiss it immediately. I think exactly. the sheriff is just focused on his own, his own death, right? He thinks it's coming soon, um, and that's why mm-hmm. he's thinking about his father riding out into the darkness, which is symbolic of death, because he expects to be following him soon yeah it's i think it's him uh coming to terms and accepting that you know like the title says no country for old men like hey, he's an old guy now and uh th- there's no place for him here so he's looking f- he's looking towards that moment which will be his eventual death and he's like i guess at that point where he's kind of at peace with it it kind of seems like it especially the way he describes that dream yeah i mean i, I think that's kind of him more or less kind of accepting the fact that his journey's kind of coming to an end. But I guess he takes some some solace in the fact that 
you know, everyone before me, everyone that I respected, their journeys came to an end too. Yeah. So, you know, it can't be the worst thing. Something like that. I don't, I just don't know that I really wanted to end the movie on Tommy Lee Jones. That's, <laughs> that's kind of where I land. He's certainly far from the most interesting character in this movie. Uh, I think there's one clear favorite, but there's a lot of interesting characters and, and Tommy Lee Jones isn't necessarily one of them. I know that he carries kind of the, the story. Mm-hmm. He's, he's narrating this whole thing, right? Yeah, we open and close with the same characters. It's it's Tommy Lee Jones yeah. with his dialogue opening the movie. It's Tommy Lee Jones ending the movie. The second character we're introduced to in the movie is um it is um Anton Chigurh. It's him ki- killing a motorist. Um, he's also the second last character we see in the movie. So there's a little bit of a mirror effect going on there. Symmetry going on. That's because this movie is in the Tenet universe. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> well, I was gonna say. There is no real narration in between, right? I don't remember him narrating anything after that initial intro. No. He right? just has conversations with other characters. Yeah. There's no voiceover. I mean, those conversations were written as if they were narrations. There was, because, there, I mean, I just kind of looking around at what people thought. There, there, there's some like thought out there about whether Shigur is even real, because Tommy Lee Jones is the narrator. He actually never sees him. He only hears about him, right? Uh, and then there are a couple moments, especially when yeah. he's talking to that marshal right before he goes back to check the hotel room one last time, where you know he mentions some. The guy mentioned something about actually he's something of a ghost, you know. Yeah. Um, so so there's kind of uh, I don't want to play the unreliable narrator card right here so i'm not going to even though it's my favorite card but (laughs) like there is kind of some you you could take the the approach that we're kind of seeing everything that tommy lee jones as he sees it having had played out from his investigation but he's always a step late so he's never really getting the full picture Mm -hmm. and this is kind of what he has pieced together i think you could take that approach but i First of all, I don't think it really matters, and yeah. and and second, I don't really like that that aspect of it that much. Uh, I think it's a stretch, like you said. It's not like he's narrating the whole thing. He just he opens and he closes. Um, otherwise, he's in the moment. So yeah. um, I don't I don't necessarily love that, but I did want to acknowledge that kind of thought is out there. Yeah, it's it's not crazy um, because Anton Chigurh, he's almost like a, a force of nature, right? He's he's like the Grim Reaper. I'm not we, the only humanizing. Ooh, you want to go symbolic here? He's he's just like uh, yeah. He's just he is inevitability. <laughs> he's he is the the passage of time or something like that, right? Sure. I mean, he's um, dressed in all black. He is, yeah. Um, <laughs> the only humanizing thing is he gets shot. He gets hurt. So true. Oh my God! Can we talk about the whole sequence of him trying to clean his wound? Yeah, that was intense. <laughs> the, you know, they both get wounded. One, uh, Llewellyn Moss goes to the hospital like a reasonable person, and Anton Shaker <laughs> he he blows up a car. Goes into a pharmacy, steals supplies, and then heals himself up in like the most gruesome fashion. It's. <laughs> I think that was my favorite sequence of the movie, just watching him do that. And I, again, like going back to kind of like the the realism of the violence here, like like their wounds don't just like magically go away or they get over them. Like the wounds that they collect throughout this movie, like yeah, stay with they them. continue dealing with them through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they have to like, we have to watch them trying to clean it, and and you know, Llewellyn taking off his socks in the shoe store and like spraying down his like completely skinless <laughs> like uh you know foot and like all of that stuff I mean, oh yeah it, it's really graphic but they really they really kind of tried to keep some like realism there in terms of what the characters were going through oh for sure anton anton shigur he's seen limping throughout the movie after his yeah. uh, leg wound and man he's so methodical with his like precision of doing 
doing the the medical work to heal himself up and take out all the mm-hmm. shrapnel from the shotgun wound. Man, I'm I'm not good with needles, so it was hard to watch that for me. So right, he's he is like he's either human or he's the Grim Reaper. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of classical imagery that came to mind while watching this movie. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, where Llewellyn Mossy stumbles upon the uh, the drug deal gone wrong when mm-hmm. he comes back to that scene to give the dude some water to me metaphorically that represented him traveling to the underworld and then the truck comes to chase him right the mexican cartel comes and they chase him into the river and that's a river sticks and he's being chased by a dog classical mythology there's there's dogs that guard the entrance to the underworld and so there's a little bit of that and the coen brothers have played with classical mythology in um oh brother where are thou that's interesting, and that makes a lot of sense because in terms of how the story gets going, it is his decision to go give water to that guy. Mm-hmm. A stupid decision which was done for moral reasons, right? He didn't want to leave that guy out there. And he, and he says it beforehand, too. He's like, I'm probably about to go do something stupid, uh, but I'm but I'm yeah. going anyways. That's what he tells Carla Jean, right? And the intensity, like, see, this is the crazy thing. There's no music, but the intensity of like when the truck is chasing him with like the all the high beams on and stuff. That was a great scene. And with no music, with no music, just like the rumbling your adrenaline is going just as fast as it would be. Yeah. It's just the loud rumbling of the diesel engine. That's like carrying yeah. the sound in that scene. And just the visual, like sharpness of the light, just blinding you as you're trying to like see this guy escape it. Yeah. It was, it was something, man. I really, really like the visuals, like dark, Dark scenes were so well and perfectly lit where only what you needed to see was in clear view. Like, it wasn't too dark. You know, what what was necessary... Like, even that shot that you guys mentioned at the very end where he's in the hotel room, Shigur is, mm-hmm. and all you see is, like, one sliver of his eye. And he's, like, staring at the at the lock that he broke. A lot, a lot of scenes, man. Just so many, so many great scenes. There's so much intentional stuff that's done. Like, there's a lot of dark scenes in which... We see some confrontations and all the daylight confrontations just don't feel the same. And they seem almost like incidental, whereas the dark nighttime sequences, which Anton Shigar is like killing people, they seem very methodical. Yeah, every, um, you know, the, we get multiple kind of scenes where Llewellyn is trying to evade Shigar in like <laughs> in various motels around Texas. Right. I mean, it happens so right. many times, but I mean, those scenes are, are always at night and they're always super, super, super intense. I mean, the suspense in those scenes yeah. is is unmatched. And it, like I just you have to realize how much movies rely on tone to kind of feed you what you should be feeling. And, and they don't yeah. have that here. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's shocking to me how on your toes you are for a majority of this movie. Uh, I think that's something that Arshin had mentioned, too, as to why she kind of picked this movie. It's just like, you know, there's there's just constant tension for like a good like 50 minute stretch. And this is only a two hour movie. Right. So like it's just like y- your mind is constantly racing. And I mean, you, you know, Sugar is like right there, right a step behind the whole entire time. And that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, one shot that just came to my mind was when you were mentioning the motels. I guess this was technically a hotel, one of the nicer ones in the city. I guess it's El Paso. Um, Llewellyn Moss is on the bed. He, he can hear the beeping of the transmitter that Shigar has in the hallway. And um, he's just sitting on the bed staring at the door. And you have the light coming in from bot- from the bottom of the door up to him. And then there's a light behind him from the window. 
just perfect man he's he's i think plays perfectly centered in the frame there. oh my god i love that scene just because yeah like you said like it, it's it's really beautiful and like the the light coming from the two directions and then obviously the the light coming from under the door disappears because sugar like i don't know covers yeah. it somehow uh and you know like <laughs> it's like you know what's about to happen because you've already seen him blow two locks off of the doors with uh with the you know that compression that that rod and the the uh, compressed gas right you you've seen him do that twice already and you know he's going to do it but Llewellyn hasn't seen it so he's just sitting there waiting and then it like mm-hmm. sticks him right in the in the chest true right i didn't realize that Llewellyn hasn't seen it yet <laughs> And it's like one of those scenes where the audience has more information than the characters in it, right? And you you know it's coming, yeah. and it's like it's obviously going to happen, but the the, the tension is so high, nonetheless, even though you know it's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. I just love that. Yeah, it's like the directors have trained you to expect it, right? The lock yeah. blow being blown out by a shaker because yeah. you've seen it a couple times, and that's like what the masters do, right? They know how to ratchet up the suspense with without doing anything. It's it's amazing. It's a very simple decision, but it's yeah, it's very mm-hmm. effective. And I, I just I think I did like the use of that very odd tool of murder, right? <laughs> never 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 seen it before. And you started the movie as someone who didn't grow up on a farm. So uh I think at least one of you can relate <laughs> I'm just kidding, yeah. I mean I think most people can relate that they didn't know what that thing was. Um and Tommy Lee Jones's character kind of mentions it offhand in the middle of one of his rambling stories. Nowadays they use like a, a compressed gas canister and a rod that shoots into a steer's head and and then immediately retracts. And so it kills them in an instant they don't feel a thing, right? He mentions that that's how they they slaughter cattle nowadays. Mm-hmm. That it's that it's almost kind, right? That it's it's euthanizing the cattle. It's painless, exactly. It's painless, yeah. And so that it just it resonated with me that Sugar doesn't really care for the violence. He's just trying to get things done, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. You know what's interesting when Ed Tom Bell was saying that story, I thought he would connect it to earlier in the movie when where they didn't the find a bullet, right? That, yeah, where they didn't find a bullet, and he's like, "Well, then where did they go back in and pick it out?" I was like, oh, "Make that connection, man." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't make. Well, the he's full never, connection. he's never seen it being I know, I know. used. But it's yeah. a, it's a very interesting choice of weapon. I think that's what we're trying to say here, yeah. and it was. And I, I think it was meaningful in terms of like the at least part of the thematic elements in terms of you know what they were trying to get across here um just muting the violence really and it's it's not like uh it's not a showcase piece i I thought that was a very Mm -hmm. interesting way to do it which actually does make the violence actually that much more interesting but their point is kind of the opposite right (laughs) yeah it's about principles rather than Mm -hmm. morality i mean whether it's good or evil or right or wrong it's more about Mm -hmm. having principles and sticking to them than it is kind of like trying to do the right thing. Because again, to, to, to Shigeru's yeah. eyes, right? Like, you know, th- it's already been written for you. Everything is on its way to you already. So it's not really about whether you deserve it or not. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's more set on like, be a man, know what kind of person you are and stick to it almost, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of an interesting approach to take. And but. I think Shigeru sees himself more in Ed Tom Bell. And we get the, we get some imagery for that. You know, it's the reflection in the TV that they both see. It's Sugar and the yes. sheriff. Well, you're talking about um, they both sit down to drink the milk on Llewellyn's couch, right? Right. And they both mm-hmm. see their reflections. Yeah. And I think that's a fair point, right? Because because Ed Tom Bell feels the same way that, like, you know, we had a way of living. We had our way of life. This is pretty par for the course for a Western, right? It's always about kind of the their way of life is kind of disappearing and it's kind of uh, fading away. Um, and so that's certainly very much played up here, but it's a reminiscing about the kind of the, the lifestyle and the, 
the mannerisms and the principles and the rules that we had as a society. And that's kind of going out the window. So it's, it really mm-hmm. is the same thing. That's a very good point. The sheriff sees all this like senseless violence, which um, leads him to view the world in a nihilistic way, right? And Anton Chigurh seems like not a nihilistic character, but someone who understands his surroundings, his world. And he's he's chosen his actions based on that he seems very confident in who he is there was an interesting conversation with the sheriff and another sheriff they're in like a diner scene there's like so many sheriffs talking... in this movie right it's like a community right. of sheriffs but yeah. uh, they're all kind of just sharing their uh their their, their stories uh, and their perspectives and right but there there's one in a restaurant which is it's the guy who eventually kind of triggers Ed Tom to go back to the hotel one more time to see if, you know, there's a there's a clue yeah. about what happened with Sugar, right? Right. Yeah, that's the one I'm um, thinking of. Um, he talks about how it's not, it's, it's a wave of violence. It's not one particular person or thing that's like changing this uh, whole landscape, right? It's, it's this wave of violence. It's the dismal tide. Right. Not one thing. Right. And I think Anton Sugar is just ahead of the tide. He's, he's bringing along mm-hmm. the change and he's a product of this new world that's coming. How do you guys feel about this movie as an, as an influence on, on other works? So one thing Arshin was mentioning was that like, she didn't see this until after she had seen like Breaking Bad and Ozark and Narcos and things like that. You know, it's all very similarly themed around the cartels and all of that. And that kind of like changed the perspective where you just kind of, I don't know, there's a little bit more expectation of of what's going to happen. So when you see that that drug deal that's kind of in shambles, like you just know, like, dude, get the hell out of there. I mean, maybe that's a natural instinct, but the idea is that we've kind of seen this so many times over and over. And so I think that's one point. And it also got me thinking about the way that the Coen brothers presented this movie. And then I feel like there's a lot of similar cinematography in in, in Breaking Bad, at least. I don't know if you guys can kind of piece that together, but I I just got very similar vibes to Breaking Bad when I was watching this time. And I I didn't have the benefit of that the first time I saw it. So, I mean, I think, I think there certainly might be some influence there. Um, I don't know who the, Mm -hmm. who, who does the, you know, the framing of the shots in in those, but I know for us, for example, you always talk up uh, Better Call Saul for its framing of shots, right? Yeah. It's the same stuff like landscapes, wide angles, uh, really setting the scene very well with those shots. Again, minimal approach, minimalistic approach. It's not, it's not a cluttered shot or anything like anything. Yeah, like, like really empty, empty shots with like focus on like one kind of isolated item in like you know in a very broad, wide shot. Right, I see that a lot. Um, yeah. and I it, think they both try to minimize the amount of edits. They try to keep you in the moment as much as possible. Like they, they let that shot linger longer than what you would expect, but that that moment that it lingers longer it just, it lets you internalize or absorb right. what you just what you're seeing or what you're about to see perhaps right there's a, definitely a purpose for it exactly right? uh yusuf to get back to your point in terms of how this may have well not your point i guess Arshin's point how this may have influenced or how a viewer's perception might be different watching it after having seen those other shows i'm not sure if it's anything new or different to be honest the idea of a character doing something that uh <laughs> that they shouldn't have done or something that they should have left alone. I mean, it's just it's just a plot device to get a story going. And that's not really how I see it. I don't really see it any other way. Like, yeah, we, we, we kind of all knew, right? The second he went and got that bag of money, all right, 
here we go. Something's about to happen now. <laughs> like if he just didn't let, if mm. he didn't grab it, then there's nothing to, uh, there's no story to go right, on. Right, exactly. And in, in this case, actually, right. Lou Allen's well aware of that as well, right? And he, I mean, he, he literally, yeah, he's he literally says it. He's like, Carla Jean, if you lost your $2 million, how long before you would stop looking for it, right? He's like, they're coming to get me. Yeah. Like, that's that. It, it's, it is interesting though. Maybe not this movie alone, but like movies like this have influenced that genre. And we've seen, We've seen it come more into into popular TV lately, I think, and that's kind of that's kind of why we're more familiar with you know this type of story um, in terms of the subject matter, at least. With Lowell and Moss, he seems like a very capable, smart individual. When he's tracking the um, the deer he shoots, he sees the trail of blood, and then he spots the bleeding dog jumping, hopping one way, right, and he assumes he came from this other direction, so he heads there. So he, he's able to infer everything brilliantly. So why is he able to see the consequences of his own actions, right? Why is he blinded to what he's what doom he's going to bring upon himself? Is he just willfully ignorant or blinding himself? Or is it is it just lust for the money? Yeah, he's got false hope that maybe, just maybe, if I can make mm-hmm. it out, I'm a rich man. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think I think he bets on himself to to a degree as well, right? And um, it yeah. is, he certainly has a lot of training. He, you know, they mentioned several times that he was, you know, in was in, in, in the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. So, and he's very well prepared. He does everything like perfectly well, except you know he didn't know about the transmitter. It's the eighties. I don't think uh, it was very common to have transmitters. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. It's not even. It's it's literally 1980, I think, because yeah. they mentioned like this is 22 years ago. This happened, and so that would have been it would, it would oh, have okay. made that day or that period gotcha. 1980 exactly. Um, but yeah, I just I, he was actually I thought he was a great character, man. I really enjoyed following him around and seeing just as methodical as uh, Anton Chigurh was. He was just as much like how much preparation mm-hmm. he was doing for every step that he was taking. There's a lot of things that are mirrored, right? Honestly. They both get injured. Yeah, yeah and honestly, where, well, I was going to say, like, where he loses his step is not even him. It's that uh, his mother-in-law tells that uh, one of the Mexican cartel guys where they're going to be staying mm-hmm. in El Paso. So he gets a heads up on knowing which motel Llewellyn Moss is at, and that's where they're able to go kill him. They both get injured in the same scene, right? They both injure each other. Um, yeah. When they're both injured, they offer money to like passer buyers. They they pull out their money all bloodied. Yeah, yeah. They both approach children to kind of. I mean, not children. In, in I think in Llewellyn's case, they're like mariachi least, band, uh, right? No, no, no. Um, I was actually gonna say when he's crossing the the border, he runs into I don't know. They're oh, probably twenty twenty yeah. year old dudes who are uh you know one of them's carrying a beer and one of them has a a jacket that he wants to buy off of him and, and that that exchange is like so odd because you know they're basically bargaining with him he's he's bloody and he's like about to fall apart and there's like a bunch of like bargaining going back and forth and then he asks for the beer and the guy's like how much (laughs) and the guy's like shut the hell up give him the beer um yeah but and then and then towards the end you're talking about when Shigur kind of offers money to to some kid for his shirt right so he can make a cast for his his arm which is they, really his his again his his bone is sticking out of his arm you know uh, it's it's yeah. pretty brutal uh, and the and the kids like you don't need to pay me but he offers him the money anyways because i don't know why not i guess right. um, he's principled he's man he's principled there you go 
<laughs> there was a thing about how bloody the movie their money was. Um, As in, anytime there was money being exchanged, that there was like it was just it was soaked in. Blood. I did notice that they're always trying to hand somebody money, and they're like their hands already covered in blood, and it's like all over it, and the people are like, uh. <laughs> uh, "Where's this from?" <laughs> um, I. Yeah. yeah, I did notice that. That's that's an interesting point. We don't need to dive in on the symbolism of that beyond um yeah, you, know, you guys can do the work. Face value. Blood money, right. blah blah blah. It's all tainted. <laughs> good points. All right. I think we're good. We are going to leave it here. Thanks for listening to the discussion. Um make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, following us on all the social media platforms so you can keep up with all of our releases. And send us suggestions if you want to see a movie. We're taking them quite quickly yeah there's no guarantee you'll get selected but we won't take it into Why are you telling them that we will definitely do your movie all you have to do is tell us which one a hundred percent someone guarantee. suggests there will be blood it's not happening. it's happening i'm gonna send in an anonymous suggestion thanks for listening to this production of the twice over if you haven't already subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcast and remember to support us on patreon or by sharing the podcast with a friend feel free to contact us on instagram twitter or facebook at the twice over or email us at comments at thetwiceover.com. All of the music you heard is from Amerigo Gasway. Check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify.